Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, October 4th, 2016. It's a little bit of a question to lead things off before we even get into the program. Do you think we should get our doctrines from men? You know, man-made doctrines. Is that a good place to get our Christian doctrine and theology? Seems like an obvious question, right? Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, look at it in context, apply proper exegesis, good hermeneutics, a Christ-centered approach to Scripture to test and see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, and self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God, to test and see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says, you know, historic, biblical, Christian, orthodox, healthy theology and doctrine, or if it's something else, you know, something pussy, oozy, sick, disgusting, you know, unhealthy kind of stuff. Anyway, so the thought for the day, if you would, think about this, all right? At the beginning of the program, I asked the question, should we be getting our doctrines, you know, from man, you know, man's ideas and stuff like that? And you're thinking, well, of course not. Let me give you a biblical text uh, so we can kind of start to frame today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, Mark chapter 7, many people are very familiar with this text, but let's take a look at it. Mark chapter 7, verse 1, the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And what's the big deal? Well, the Pharisees had this secondary source of authority, if you would. They were not sola scriptura guys. Nope. They had this other authority. They called it the oral Torah. It eventually gets written down in the Mishnah and in the Talmuds. And this oral Torah, they say, was given by God to Moses, but it was given orally, right? And so they've got the secondary set. They called it the tradition of the elders in Jesus' time, and that's what where the commandment to wash your hands is. It's not actually in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's in this other body of work, this other body of doctrines. So they took issue with the fact that Jesus' disciples were not washing their hands as the 
tradition of the elders, the oral Torah tells them they need to be doing. And so, and it says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, watch this, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So notice that Jesus here, quoting the prophet Isaiah, notes that there are people who vainly worship God through their doctrines of man, if you would, all right? And so Jesus continues, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Moses said, honor your father and mother. Whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, Notice what he says, but you say. So God says, but you say. If man, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is a gift given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything to take care of his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition. Now notice here, the word tradition is used in the, in the sense of doctrines of man. Okay, this does not mean that if you go to a church that uses a hymnal and plays an organ, you know, that somehow Jesus is running that down. Oh, well, there you go. That's a traditional church service. You're not supposed to do that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about tradition as a man-made doctrine. Its origin is man. And you make void the word of God by your tradition Jesus says that you've handed down and many such things you do. So, so there's the idea, all right? Just, you know, Jesus is a sola scriptura guy. He is not one of these guys who believes that you can somehow just create doctrines and teachings on the fly. And he was, you know, not, you know, you, you kind of get the idea here. And so, the, I, so then here's the question I have for you. And this is kind of the question I want to pose to you. When somebody is teaching to you a doctrine of man, a tradition created in the mind of man, are you able to spot it? It happens far more often than you think. It happens, we hear examples of it every day here at Fighting for the Faith. Today we're going to hear Great examples of doctrines of man. In fact, you kind of have to think about this as kind of like a reverse order. You know, you, you read one of the passages in the epistles talks about how our minds are transformed and renewed by the word of God. Well, today we're going to be talking about how you transform the scripture through unregenerate human minds. Yeah, they end up transforming the scriptures through their man-made doctrines. And so as we listen to each segment today in Fighting for the Faith, and let's talk about who we're going to be listening to, we're going to start with Katie Sousa. Katie Sousa is going to literally stumble on uh, you know, the, a biblical text or two that relates to 
the doctrine of original sin, the, the, the doctrine that we are born dead in trespasses and sins, but she's going to miss what the Scripture is actually saying because she is fully engaged in teaching her own man-made, or in her case, woman-made doctrines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this doctrine was proudly made by a woman. Okay, you got to put a little label on that thing. Yeah, and so we're going to note how she is teaching her own man-made doctrines and then transforming and forcing the Word of God to fit her woman-made, man-made, human tradition doctrine. That's what she'll be doing. Bill Johnson, then, will do the same thing, and uh, we'll take a listen to his recent appearance on uh, Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, as he gives us this amazing revelation that God is good. And I would say Bill Johnson is probably a master at this technique. He literally spins out doctrines of man out of his head the way a printing press spins out newspapers. Yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. And you know, hopefully the goal by the end of the of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith is when you hear somebody doing this, be it Katie Sousa, Bill Johnson, or Rick Warren, and I hope to get to Rick Warren today. It kind of depends on how long it takes us to work this. I have Rick Warren in as a wild card. Um, it will hear another example of, you know, literally creating doctrines of men and then transforming God's word to fit these doctrines of men. But Jesus says in Mark 7 that when you do this, you make God's word void and in vain do you worship God. Uh huh. So I think that's rather fascinating. And so then in hour number two, we're going to head down to I-Town Church in Fishers, Indiana and listen to Dave Summerall um, from his playbook, uh, sermon series that uh, he gave during the uh, summer months, and the name of it is Experiential. And he's going to also engage in literally teaching doctrines of men and then trying to transform God's word to comply with and support his man-made doctrines. It's absolutely a fascinating case study today on Fighting for the Faith. So I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground that we need to uh, cover today. Since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. So I was having this wedding, and and we had, we, well, we didn't have, we had Shabbat. Mm, Shabbat Sunday. Yeah, that's right. That's one of our songs. Shabba, that's uh, Heidi Baker. Yeah, I don't know what it is that she's saying, but I don't think she knows either. It's really not about that, is it? All right, so we're heading over to Katie Sousa's television program, and uh, we're going to listen to her as she explains how to be healed of generational food issues. And we're going to note, again, the order in which she does things. She is literally going to just spin out of her head a man-made doctrine. 
No biblical text teaches it. She's going to spin out this man-made doctrine, and then she's going to transform the Word of God to actually fit the theology that is coming from her, not the Word of God. Here's Katie Sousa. We're talking about food and other things, other addictions in our soul. We have an appetite for things. The word appetite in the Bible doesn't just refer to your physical appetites of you being hungry. It means actually the soul. That's what the word appetite means. That's yeah, which Greek word or Hebrew word are you referring to, Katie? I'd like to know, considering that I actually have a degree in biblical languages and read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. So I'm curious which word you're referring to. Because your appetites are coming from your soul. You're hungry for stuff. When you're wounded and unhealed in your soul, man, you're hungry to feel peace. You're hungry to have... So when you're wounded and unhealed in your soul, man, you're hungry. Now, that is a man-made... I should say, sorry, woman-made doctrine. Yeah, that doctrine was made by a woman. The Bible doesn't say this. Where did... Okay, so now notice she's teaching her own... Tradition of man here. Teaching it as a doctrine. So the question is, when she gets to the word of God itself, what is she going to do with it? Joy in your life. You're hungry to have satisfaction. And sometimes if we're not getting that, because we're wounded in here, we start reaching for other things. You know, spending money, buying stuff, drugs, alcohol, people, and food. Sounds to me like she's talking about the passions of our sinful flesh. Scripture explicitly talks about these things. And she's describing sinful behavior that flows from our sinful natures. It it seems pretty straightforward if you just kind of think about it in those terms. So, you know, but she's not going to rightly handle God's word. That's really not on her agenda. So where is this all going to go? And we use it to comfort ourselves. When we eat, sometimes we find like a temporary feeling of satisfaction. You ever feel like that? It's like, oh, when you eat, oh, I feel so happy and satisfied. But then you're miserable, you know, a few months later, a few minutes later because you overate, you stuffed yourself, and now you feel condemned and ashamed. And the next day you wake up and you keep on gaining more and more pounds. And that temporary satisfaction that the food brought you really made it worse and worse. And worse and worse. Amen? What the world doesn't realize is that millions of people are actually born with stuff that is affecting their physical weight. Amen? All right. Now, what she said is technically true. People are born with stuff that causes them to have all kinds of manifestations of sin. This has to do with what the Bible or, you know, what we we call the doctrine of original sin. This is describing what our state is prior to our regeneration, and we still have a sinful nature that we have to contend with even after. Now, let me give you some biblical text to kind of help us out here. The first text we're going to look at is one that we go to often here at Fighting for the Faith, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 notes this, that you were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice it says dead. Uh Uh-huh. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, uh-huh, following the prince of the power of the air, that would be the devil, 
and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Jesus, in describing you know this particular doctrine or the way he talks about it, notes the fact that uh, people are children of the devil. That's you know who whose children they are when they're born. And this is a result of Adam and Eve's sin. I would point you to uh, you know passages in the Book of Romans as well as first, as First Corinthians that explicitly you know bear this out. And so we're dealing with the consequences of sin. So because of this, we are by nature children of wrath. We are born with this problem and this condition. And therefore, as a result of that, this explains why it is that we have all the different desires to do wrong. Wrong that hurts others, wrong that hurts even ourselves. This is a result of our fall into sin. So Katie Sousa here is, you know, she's actually trafficking in a passage or passages that relate to the fact that, yes, we are by nature sinful and unclean. We are born dead in trespasses and sins. The reason why we sin is because we are sinners. But rather than let the scriptures explain this for us correctly, Katie Sousa well, she's created her own doctrine. It's the doctrine of the wounded soul. Heal your soul wounds, and you won't have the problems that you have, at, you know, with overeating, uh, you know, addictive behaviors, and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible doesn't teach the theology that she's teaching. We continue. We're born with a genetic. Design that predisposes our bodies to certain sizes. Men, we inherit it from our family through our bloodline. We're also born with ancient soul wounds that were passed down to us through our family line. All right. Now, ancient soul wounds, that is a man-made doctrine. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach the doctrine of ancient soul wounds. This is a doctrine created by Katie Sousa. Now, let me give you another passage. I referenced it, but let, let's take a look at it. Um, Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 1 so we can get our context and we can see what Scripture teaches regarding, you know, really uh, the issues that we have as sinners and the condition we find ourselves in in this, uh, you know, in this earth when we are conceived. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. 
So notice that Romans 5.10 and Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 are working together. So we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, Ephesians says. Romans 5.10 makes it clear that we are enemies of God by nature, right? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the gra- uh, grace of that one man Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift of God following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned uh, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteousness. Will be made righteous. So there's the text that basically explicitly says Romans five nineteen that through the one man's disobedience, Adams, we were all made to be sinners. Huh? So we, every human being comes into this world dead in trespasses and sins. They come into this world already a sinner. So part of what Katie Sousa is saying is right, but she's negating and making void the word of God by her false teaching and her man-made, or I should say woman-made doctrine. We continue. Could be driving us into these various addictions including a food addiction. Amen? Now, even if you weren't born with stuff, sometimes you're born into it. Scientists have shown that that, uh, when they study children that have obesity-related genes, that they don't necessarily have to grow up to be heavyset or overweight. Sometimes it's contingent upon the environment they're born into. You know, if you're born into an environment where people don't have, they don't understand uh, the importance of, of right nutrition or, you know, not eating stuff that is going to cause you to gain the weight, to always have, they're the kind of people that always have snacks on hands or soda pops or, you know, maybe they live a sedentary life. They don't, they watch TV a lot. Maybe they play a lot of video games. Sometimes we're born into that type of a lifestyle and we learn those types of behaviors and that multiplies the issues that we're already physically born with. And even the stuff that we're born within our soul. Amen? Now, be- Born within our soul. Again, that's a woman-made doctrine. Born with stuff is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not what this preach is about. It's not to say, oh, okay, everybody's excused. That you're born with stuff. That's it. No. What I want to do in this preach is I want to show you... What you want to do in this preach? Where'd you learn English? It doesn't matter if you're born with stuff. Whether you're born with it in your soul or your physical body, nothing is impossible with God. And I'm going to show you how God can actually heal stuff. 
heal genes and mutations that you were born with that are preventing you from losing weight or even causing you to gain weight. Amen? Uh, n- no, you're selling magic beans at this point. Yeah, all of this is a woman-made doctrine. So you notice, she's teaching her own doctrines. She's not teaching what the Bible says at all. But because she has the center podium, you know, at a place that it calls itself a church and has the authority of whoever invited her behind them, you know, the people there at this at this venue believe they're being taught God's word and what Christ would have us believe. But this is exactly the same kind of doctrine that Jesus condemns in Mark 7. These are doctrines of man that make void the word of God. So let's talk about some of the stuff we are born with. Amen. Let's talk first about the generational wounds that we're born with. Remember, yeah, generational wounds, which is taught nowhere in the Bible. That is another woman made doctrine. The Bible says that sin and trauma, if we live through sins or we experience traumas in our life, that those things can actually wound our, our soul. Well, Where does it say that? I'd like to see the text. Same thing with our ancestors. If your mom and your dad lived through some extreme traumas in their life, we lived through a hard time, economic downfalls, loss of jobs, loss of loved ones, or any kind of excruciating or difficult circumstances, those traumas could have wounded their soul, even your grandparents, your great-grandparents. Uh-huh. Okay, so again, note that is a woman-made doctrine. There is no text that says that if your if your grandparents experienced a trauma, they experienced they they wounded their souls, and that that wound is somehow transferred to you. Maybe they got entangled in some kind of a sin in their lifetime. Well, yeah. Well, every human being sins because through the one man's trespass, Adam. The many, that's all of us, were made sinners. So if you want to talk about generational curses in the truest sense, each and every one of us has inherited the curse of Adam and Eve. By virtue of the fact that we are his descendants, we are born dead in trespasses and sins. Straight up. This is the biblical doctrine of original sin. She's touching on it. But because she's teaching her own woman-made doctrines, she's not really handling God's word correctly, and she's making it void. Sin and trauma both leave wounds on our inner man. And then those wounds can actually get passed down to you. Yeah, again, show me from the Bible where it says that. At your birth, you could be born with wounds, woundedness inside your inner man that could now be driving you to an addiction. Including, oh, yeah, were you born with a woundedness in your inner man? Oh, food addiction. All right, let's look at that. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. You're going to twist God's word at this point. Well, David in Psalms 51 says this Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay, what's he talking about here? He- um, he's talking about what Paul was talking about in Romans 5, what Paul is discussing. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, what Jesus talks about when he says, you are of your father the devil. When when David says, in sin did my mother conceive me, he's talking about the fact that he, just like the rest of humanity, was born dead in trespasses and sins and at enmity with God. 
That's what he's referring to, Scripture interpreting Scripture and not going beyond what the text says. When I was in the womb, I was being shaped in iniquity. What does that mean? The Bible uses different words to describe sin, like trespass, rebellion, sin. But when it uses the word iniquity, it's referring to generational sins that were passed down through the generations. And where did you find this out? What is the Hebrew word for iniquity? And how can you demonstrate from biblical text that this is referring to generational curses? So here's David. He's saying, behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's saying when I was in the womb being formed as a little bitty baby, I was receiving all the generational sins, the generational iniquities of my parents. Uh, no, he's affirming that he was born dead in trespasses and sins as a result of Adam's sin. Now, because sin wounds people. And so does trauma. Not only was he receiving the generational sins of his parents, but the wounds that those sins made. Yeah. Um, where in the Bible does it talk about the wounds in his soul that those sins made when his parents sinned? Answer, nowhere. So notice, there is a text that clearly teaches the doctrine of original sin. She's making it void by basically teaching her own Woman-made doctrines. That, folks, right there, that was a doctrine made in America, made by a woman, not a doctrine revealed and inspired by God the Holy Spirit. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to head over to Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, and we're going to note how Bill Johnson uses this exact same technique teaching doctrines of man. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Um, Mr. Sunshine, your three o'clock appointment is here. Oh, good. Send them right on in. Will do, Mr. Sunshine. Oh, dear, I've completely forgotten who I'm meeting. Let's just see who it is. Let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Brightweight was at one o'clock. Miss Woodhead was at two. 
And at three, we have... No. Hello? Ah! Oh dear, not again. Sorry about that! It was merely a reflex action! I'm trying to get that fixed. So, anyway... Why are you here today? I was assigned to you again after my attitude didn't improve last time. Did you forget already? It must be because you don't like me. Of course I don't! Uh, uh, hate you! Nobody hates you here! We all love it when you're not around! I, 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 I mean, uh... <laughs> Let's get down to business. We're here to discuss how you performed in our newest Lead Like Jesus program. I'll just pull up the complaint file here. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. Approximately three hours later. So after you failed to walk on the lake, you then disappeared for two weeks and were luckily found by hikers in the mountain who claim they found you deliriously raving about how you refused to turn a rock into Bread, do you have anything to say for yourself? But I thought I was leading like Jesus, like you told me to. <sighs> I think you failed to see the purpose of this ministry outreach. There are a few accounts that even I can't even understand. Here, explain this one right here. Well, in Matthew 21, Jesus cursed a fig tree and it withered away because it didn't bear any fruit. So my neighbor down the street planted a lemon tree about three years ago and I've never seen any lemons on it. So I walked over and cursed it, but it wouldn't die. So I used sulfuric acid instead. What are you doing to my tree? You maniac! Get out of my yard! Uh... What? Why is my tree melting? Sir, do you have a moment to talk about the Lead Like Jesus program? No, I don't have time to... Stop changing the subject! Get off my lawn! Stop! 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 I, I get it! Okay. How on earth did you get banned for life? For the local soup kitchen. Well, remember the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14? Yes, we all know the story. You don't mean to tell me. Well. Alright, Mildred. We have a large shipment of food that just came in. We need you to direct the men to put it where it all belongs. Right. Where do you want it all? Oh, sir, we don't need your food today. I'm just going to leave like Jesus and have God provide these people with food. What? If you don't mind me saying, but I think God provided all the food on this heavily laden truck. It's okay. My pastor had a vision that this would work. Well, that settles it. Men, we've got the wrong place. We thought this was a soup kitchen, but it turns out that this is a loony bin. Add out!
Uh, Mildred, where's the food? Don't worry. This is all the food we need. That's just two Ritz crackers and three dead goldfish. I'm leading like Jesus. If you just give me a wicker basket, I'll lift it up and God will multiply it. The only thing that's going to multiply is the number of bruises on your face. Good gravy! That's not what you're supposed to be doing at all! But I'm supposed to... I know! You're supposed to lead like Jesus! But you've clearly took this too literally! And this last one about you making a whip from electrical cords and chasing the poor baristas from the coffee shop in the church foyer while screaming something about brood of vipers and uh, turning God's house into a den of robbers is, is taking it too far! Well... No! Not again! No more flashbacks! Why do you keep getting these anyway? Sunshine, open up. This is the police. We received an anonymous phone call from biblical repairmen about you corrupting the youth and forcing them to do terrible things in the name of God. Curse you, anonymous caller! I can't go back to prison! You'll never take me alive, coppers! Does this mean our session is over? Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Down, click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think there's a lot of people in evangelicalism teaching man-made doctrines. That's because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, right there on the homepage, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says, join our crew. The other says, donate. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. This is a monthly commitment. And the lowest rank in our crew is um, Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Then from there, Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. And, and I mean that. You know, uh, It helps us have a kind of a, a good solid foundation 
yeah, that we can plan on every month, budget from, and plan our next exploits. Yeah, we, we're pirates. We're always planning exploits, <laughs> things like that. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, we're going to give you another example of man-made doctrines. And I got to tell you, Bill Johnson is like the slickest guy out there in just slipping in his man-made theology and doctrines. But since he is an apostle in the New Apostolic Reformation, and oh, yes, he is, uh, that requires us to do this. Chief Vane, what do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. yeah, that's right. So we're heading over to Sid Roth's television program. It's Supernatural is its name. And uh, yeah, recently, I think like yesterday, they had, uh, well, Bill Johnson of Bethel Church in Redding, California on the program. And uh, he, like I said, he is the master of slipping in his own man-made doctrines. And we're going to highlight when and how he does it so that you can see that he is one of these guys who is not an actual biblical doctrine guy or a biblical theologian. No, he is a purveyor in his own theology that he's made up. Here's Sid Roth to introduce Bill Johnson. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world where it's naturally supernatural. I have seen my guest, Bill Johnson, stand in front of a group of people and I have seen so many miracles erupt. But Bill has told me that the greatest revelation he has ever been given for miracles, for you to fulfill your destiny. Um, what? For you to fulfill your destiny? Uh-huh. Yeah, Sid Roth is into the dream destiny thingy doctrine, which is not taught in Scripture. He's ready to reveal right now, and I promise you, if you grab hold of this... Oh, so he's making a promise. If you grab hold of this thing that uh, Bill Johnson's going to reveal, what, what will happen? Will I win the lottery? What, what will happen to me? Please. It'll be the most important revelation Ooh. for all the promises of God in your life. Uh, wow. Most important revelation of all the promises of God. Wow, I better write this one down. Grab hold. Yes. 
actually, this revelation is so simple, I can say it in three words, but it's not an intellectual thing. Mm, Yeah, see, it's not an intellectual thing, right, yeah. By the way, there's the introduction of a man-made doctrine right there. It's not an intellectual thing. Mm, Is it anti-intellectual? What is it? Where does the Bible talk in these terms? It's a supernatural revelation. And if you just get it in your head, that'll be good, but not good enough to activate the promises of God. Okay, there's another man-made doctrine that I have to do something, like get this doctrine, this idea, this concept down farther than my head, down into my heart in order to, what did he say? Activate the promises of God. Where in Scripture does it teach that there are things that we must do in order to activate the promises of God for a believer? Not good enough to fulfill your destiny. Oh, no. So, Bill... Yeah, yeah you, you can't fulfill your destiny if you, if you don't activate these promises, right? Edge of our seat, what's the revelation? God is good. Have you ever heard that before? God is good. Why is this such an important revelation to you? I mean, you've spent over two decades known for someone that moves in the miraculous. I mean, the miracles that happen is... Uh, I mean, it, it, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's normal according to the Bible, but it's phenomenal according to most people. What you know about God changes who you are. Okay, now, there's a doctrine. What you know about God changes who you are? Hmm. Where is that doctrine taught in Scripture? It defines your purpose. It defines your destiny. It shapes how you live. It shapes how you think, most of all. Everything comes from your perspective on life. Uh So again, where is this doctrine taught in Scripture? This is a man-made doctrine. So he's not beginning with a biblical text and teaching us what Scripture says. Oh, this is a guy who deals in the supernatural and the prophetic, right? I mean, he's Bill Johnson from Bethel Redding, right? So he's just at this point pontificating. And what's coming out of his mouth are doctrines. These are doctrines. That's exactly what they are. But they are not doctrines of God as revealed in the written word of God. This, at its face, is a doctrine of man. This is a doctrine created by Bill Johnson. And the way you view God changes everything that you see about life itself on planet earth what god's assignment for our life is Uh god's assignment for our life again where is this assignment for life doctrine taught in scripture when we see he is good all revelation comes as an invitation for encounter okay there's another doctrine of man all revelation comes as an invitation for encounter that's a bill johnson original doctrine I mean, if this were a piece of, if we could you know, have him sign it. We can put, hang it in a museum as a piece of art. This is something he's created. It comes from his mind, his heart. It does not come from God. This is a man-made doctrine. 
None of it is given to us just to make us smarter, just to increase our intellectual capacity. All of it is an invitation to encounter God in that area. Okay, where in the scripture does it talk about invitations to encounter God in different areas? Well, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh-huh, right. So, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. If I go and put this back in context, it's going to teach me about activation and invitation to encounters and things like that. No, when you read Psalm 34 in context, you'll see that it is a, uh, well, it's a psalm that encourages us to fear the Lord, turn from our iniquity, be saved by him. It talks about salvation. In fact, let's take a look at Psalm 34 written by David. I will bless Yahweh at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in Yahweh. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify Yahweh with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought Yahweh. He answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord Yahweh heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord Yahweh is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear Yahweh, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The lion, young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek Yahweh lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh. What man is there who desires life and loves Many days that he may see good, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. The face of Yahweh is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, Yahweh hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them was broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Yahweh redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Great psalm, by the way. But when you put taste and see that the Lord is good back in context, you'll note that, well... Bill Johnson is teaching a man-made doctrine and making void what God's Word actually says in Psalm 34. We continue. Taste is an experience. See is perception. You'll perceive more clearly what you can experience. And the Lord is inviting us to see and to taste and to perceive His goodness on a whole different level. Yeah, that's not what Psalm 34 says. You're teaching a man-made doctrine, Bill Johnson, but that's what you do. You traffic in man-made doctrines, not in biblical truth. Well, actually, I mean, this is a strong statement. You call it the cornerstone of all theology. Yeah. Why would you yeah, say that? It is. Well, it's everything comes from the goodness of God. Everything about him, he is as good as he is holy. His love, of course, he is love. Uh, but that goodness of God, I, th- I think, is the root system that everything comes from. Mm. So the goodness of God, you think, uh, notice he told us where this doctrine comes from, is the root system uh-huh, of where everything else comes from. I mean, I mean, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Without a biblical text, I have no way of knowing. 
quad non est biblicum, non est theologicum. If it's not in the Bible, it's not theology. And when you see that, when that becomes settled in my heart, mm-hmm. then there are things that I used to question that would happen that I no longer question because I see everything is defined by his goodness. Mm. So, I mean, now he's into the realm of personal testimony to prove that his man-made doctrine has to be true because it's benefited him in his own life. Therefore, it must be from God, right? It's not uh, his goodness isn't defined by circumstances. It's the other way around. And uh, just seeing that uh, brings a rest to my heart so that I can trust him in all situations. The enemy's whole thing is want to get me to become introspective. He wants me to be wrapped up in evaluating how I'm doing. And especially for those who have a great passion to know God, to live like Jesus, be like Jesus, it's an easy trap to fall into. Because when I look inward, I'm not looking where faith will increase. I actually look where faith will diminish because I become more self-reliant than I am God-reliant. And so the Lord uh, longs for us to turn our attention towards him. It's not that the issues of life uh, that he's dealing with aren't important. They are, but he is dealing with them, not us. He's dealing with us. And as we look to him, we come into a place of rest. And uh, faith comes out of rest, not striving. It's not the result of works. It's the result of surrender. And when that is our approach to our relationship with God, faith is much more normal and natural. Now, you said something a little earlier. You said that God is good in your heart is settled. Yes. But we have many people that are questioning a lot of things. Yeah. How can, how can, how can we get where you are and where I am? Mm-hmm. Yeah, please tell us the secret, Bill, please. I mean, it's as if Bill Johnson is sitting high atop some Himalayan peak somewhere. And we plebes, you know, have to ascend the mountain to sit at his feet so that he can drop us pearls of wisdom and finally divulge what is the secret, what is the key, so that we can operate in the supernatural the way you do, Bill Johnson. Please tell us, because we can't figure it out by reading our Bibles, but what, what's the key? And why, in fact, even more important, why is it so important to get there? Well, it's vital because it changes who you are. It cha- yes, you know, you, you got, you, it'll change who you are once you get to where Bill Johnson is, yeah. It changes your perception on life. And if I, if I mistake God's nature, I will mistake how I live. It's, uh, it's the whole... Uh, uh, no, 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 no. See, see there, there was a false doctrine. Again, another man-made doctrine. If I mistake who God is, is I'll mistake who, how I live. No, 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 no. See, the reason why we screw up and our lives are such train wrecks is not because we mistake God. It's because we are by nature sinners. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, building off of Katie Sousa's false doctrine and our untangling of her false theology that made in America, you know. Yeah, that, you, listen, check the label on all of your doctrines. If the doctrine says made in America or made in Europe or made in Australia, yeah, you, you might as well just leave that theology behind. Yeah, check the label. So, yeah, this this theology he just spewed, made in America. Um, yeah, so um, the reason why we, and they're not mistakes, they're sins, is not because we don't have a proper perception of God. It's the reason why we don't have a proper perception of God is because we are by nature 
sinners, born dead in trespasses and sins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we continue. Statement that's made, if you, whatever you misdiagnose, you will mistreat. And so you'll hmm. always try to answer questions that people aren't a asking. You'll always try to, uh, to solve problems that really God is not working on or he is taking a different approach on. And so we become, we become people who work extremely hard but very, very ineffective because everything comes out of the goodness of God. It's a vital, it's a vital thing to perceive because it changes, it changes how we view even things we don't understand. It changes. Now, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that God isn't good. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, God is really good. Um, and he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. I really truly believe that we see a very important revelation of God's character in Christ, in the incarnation, in his bleeding and dying for us, in his mercy and his grace. And, and I believe that rightly understanding the nature of God through the revelation of who he is in Christ is vital for our understanding of all of the scriptures. I'm, so you, you understand what I'm saying here, but what I'm saying here is qualitatively different than what Bill Johnson is saying. Uh, he's saying that you know understanding God's goodness is the key to being able to operate in the supernatural and to activate certain promises and to... Yeah, all this other stuff that he said that the Bible doesn't teach. And so when you listen to Bill Johnson over and over and over and over again, Bill Johnson literally just is like, well, you know, he's running off at the mouth, spewing out his own theology, his own doctrines that are not taught in Scripture. They're made in America, made in California, made in Bethel. A church in Redding, California, and you don't want your theology to have that on the label. Moving along. Ba, 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 yeah, time for Rick Warren update. I don't know how I know, but I'm gonna find my purpose. I don't know where I'm gonna look, but I'm gonna find my purpose. Gotta find out. Don't wanna wait. Make sure that my life will be great Gotta find my purpose Before it's too late Yeah, that's right, gotta find your purpose So we're uh, heading over to Saddleback Church We're gonna be listening to Rick Warren uh, From his uh, sermon titled Learn what to do when God tests you with success mm -hmm. Learn what to do when God tests you with success Chock full of, well, man-made doctrines Here we go Take out your message notes. The past few weeks, we've been uh, in a series about passing the 10 common tests of life. Mm. Where does the Bible teach the doctrine of the 10 common tests of life? In context, I would like to see the list. And they're all covered uh, in the book of Daniel. And really, the book of Daniel is all about revealing the 10 common tests of life? How come Rick Warren's the first person to discover this doctrine? In the book of Daniel, we have all ten of these tests. Eight of them are tests that Daniel himself had to go through, one of them his friends goes through, and one of them the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has to go through, which we're going to look at today. Now, I've said in each of these sessions that before there is blessing, there is always a testing. 
where in the Bible does it say, before there is blessing, there is always testing? This is a man-made doctrine. This doctrine was made in America, made in the USA, right there in sunny Southern California. Before every blessing, there is always a testing. God wants to see if you can handle what he's about to give you. Greater responsibility, greater blessing, greater success or prosperity or uh, spiritual experiences. Uh, greater is Rick Warren into open theism? You know, I have to ask the question because God, if, if God wants to see if I can handle something, then, well, then God has to test me in order to find out, which means God doesn't know. Uh-huh. Does this sound like biblical doctrine? You know, the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God somehow doesn't know what I can and can't handle, so he has to test me first to see if I can handle it, and then if I pass the test, then he can bless me? What kind of God is this, right? Again, this doctrine, made in America. Influence. God wants to know, can you handle what you've already got before he gives you even more? Right, so God doesn't know, so he's got to test me, right? No biblical text teaches this. Where did Rick Warren get this? This is a doctrine of man, not a doctrine of God. And God tests you with stress before he trusts you with success. We've talked about this uh, every single week. God You've been teaching on this every single week without a biblical text that actually says that? You've been basically teaching your own man-made doctrines every single week there at Saddleback. There's a shock. Let's see if you can handle it. Jesus explained this principle actually in Luke 16. Look up here on the screen. Uh, the, Jesus said this. You must be proven trustworthy in small things before you'll be trusted with greater things. That's before every blessing, there's a testing. And if you have not been faithful with what is not your own, Who's going to trust you to give you your own? Now, I'm going to give Rick Warren props because he's going through great pains to try to make his man-made doctrine look like it's actually taught in the Bible. But here's the problem. It isn't. And he's, go he's basically quoting a dubious paraphrase rather than a good translation and doing so out of context in order to create the false impression that this is a biblical teaching. But in fact, if you have a copy of a good translation of the Bible and you have Luke chapter 16 in it, you can put this back in context and you'll see that it's not saying what he said. Now, here's what the dubious translation that he's quoting from says. You must be proven trustworthy in small things before you will be trusted with greater things. And if you have not been full faithful with what is not your own, who will trust you to give you your own? So there you go. But no context. And this is an interesting passage, by the way. The context begins in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Let me read it. From the ESV, good translation, there was a rich man who had a manager. Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called to him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be my manager. Now I'm going to note something here. Um, this is a fascinating text because 
Normally, when somebody's fired, you take the keys and escort them off the property. This guy's fired, but he's still able to do business in his master's name, which is fascinating. So the manager said to himself, well, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Now, note, that's kind of the important phrase, will receive me into their houses. This is a parable that Jesus is telling here. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, well, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. So notice he's now showing mercy. He's canceling debts on behalf of the master. What do you think the master is going to do to this guy? Probably have him thrown in prison, right? Well, that's what you'd think, but we, we continue. So how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. Take your bill. Sit down and quickly write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, well, 100 measures of wheat. He said to him, you take your bill and you write 80. So all this debt reduction, canceling of debt going on. And here's what it says, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Uh-huh. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous mammon so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. So this is the context of what Jesus is saying in verse 10, right? <laughs> right. So why did the, the, the master commend the dishonest manager? Why? Because he was a man after his own heart. Uh-huh. The master was kind, merciful, forgiving. And that's what he was using to save his own bacon. And Jesus then here is talking then how uh, what our relationship to money should be. Not to hoard it, but to use unrighteous wealth for the furthering of the kingdom. And we do this because we are saved, because God is merciful, because Christ has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You can say, you know, literally Jesus sits down with each of us and, and you know, writes down what the total debt that we owe him because of our sin is, passes the paper across the table, we open it, we look at it, and we're just aghast. Oh my goodness, how am I supposed to pay that? And see, Jesus then says to us, quickly write down debt paid in full, debt canceled by virtue of the fact I bled and died for you on the cross. That's kind of the idea of what Jesus is getting at and why the the, the master commends the the shrewd, dishonest manager. And so, and then the idea then is when will fit, when will wealth fail? So, so I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous fa- uh, wealth so that when it fails, it may re- they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. When will unrighteous wealth fail? On the last day. Nobody can buy their way into the kingdom of heaven, and it always fails. It will not prevent you from dying. Your money will not keep you from dying. You will die. And then Jesus says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Uh Uh-huh. And that faithfulness is due to the fact that they already have faith, that they're a new creation in Christ. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. He's not saying you've got to prove yourself. He's saying this is just a matter of fact. This is the way it is. 
Notice the ESV captures the Greek very well here, by the way. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in little is also dishonest in much. This is just a fact. So if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is another, who will give you that which is your own? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And there's the point. Jesus isn't teaching some doctrine whereby, oh, well, here's, if you pass the test, then God's going to trust you with more. Wrong. Jesus is telling you to repent of serving money. Repent, be forgiven, and serve God. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you, and you are, when you are brought to penitent faith in Christ, you do good works because you are a Christian. You can be trusted with a little and with much because you are forgiven and you are in Christ. That's the idea. And what is the reaction of the Pharisees? The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, verse 14, heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among, among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So what's Rick Warren doing here? He's teaching a man-made doctrine, a doctrine made in America, made in the United States of America, right down there in Lake Forest, California. It's got the purpose-driven label on it. And he had to twist God's word to create the false impression that it actually teaches this nonsensical doctrine whereby God doesn't know if you can handle something, so he's got to test you to find out. We continue. Before God trusts you with success, he tests you with stress. Now, so far in this series, we've looked at five tests. Let's put them all up here on the board and see where we've been. We, we looked at first, uh, when your world is shaken up, that means when you, uh, uh, the test of a major change. We, we've looked at uh, when you're pressured to conform, peer pressure is a test in your life. Uh, we've looked at when your beliefs are belittled. And uh, remember, we talked to the students particularly about that, about at school. We talked about when you're asked to do the impossible, when a boss or somebody in your life says, I need you to do this. You go, I don't have the time or the money to do this. That's a test when you're asked to do the impossible. And then we looked at uh, when the heat is on. And we talked about the uh, the young men going through the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to, to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the next five weeks... Let me show you where we're going, okay? Here's some of the other tests you're going to see. We're going to look at uh, when you need to have a difficult conversation. The when you need to have a difficult conversation test, which is a man-made doctrine created by Rick Warren. You probably need to know how to do that. When you have to share a hard truth with somebody you love or uh, is in your life. When you need to have a difficult conversation. Then the next one, when people work against you. Yeah, the, when people work against you test, yeah. Again, another man-made doctrine. The Bible doesn't teach this doctrine. At school or somewhere else like that. You maybe even feel like they're plotting against you. We're going to look at that test. When your situation looks hopeless, we're going to look at that as a test in life. God often allows things to get so bad, it looks hopeless. And then when the answer to your prayer is delayed, that's one everybody needs. You need yeah, to the when the answer to your prayer is delayed test, yeah. How come Rick Warren's the only guy who's ever discovered these 10 tests in Scripture? That's just bizarre, you know? The skill of how to handle a delayed answer to prayer. That is a test. This is a test. 
Uh, but this weekend, we're going to look at this this one, when God tests you with success. Right, the when God tests you with success test. Right, <laughs> which, you know, the Apostle Peter never wrote about or talked about, or even Jesus never talked about. Yeah, it's weird, yeah. And the reason why is quite simple, why this doesn't appear um, <laughs> in any kind of cogent form is because the Bible actually doesn't teach this. This is a doctrine made in America. Just check the label. I think you get the point. And so, you know, going back to our initial question today at the beginning of the program, are you able to spot it when people are teaching man-made doctrines? So far in hour number one, well, we've had several very cogent examples of it, you know, some from the most well-known to some of the people who are not exactly well-known at all, but you get the point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break, when we come back... We're going to be heading down to I-Town Church in Fishers, Indiana, listening to a sermon uh, about, well, more man-made doctrines, the man-made doctrine of experiential theology. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) 
R is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. to a fighting for the faith sermon review time yeah my hope is that today's episode will be very helpful in helping you spot doctrines made in america made in australia made in uh, manchester in the uk but not made in well god's word but let's do this right the bad, the ugly. We review it all. Here at Fighting for the Faith, we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. (laughs) Today's sermon comes to us via I-Town Church, Fishers, Indiana. Dave Sumrall presiding. This is from his playbook sermon series. The name of the sermon is Experiential. We will note the doctrines that are made in America but are not actually in Scripture. Yep, man-made doctrines that make void the Word of God. There are examples of it even in this sermon. So, let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Dave Summerall and his sermon, Experiential. The series getting ready for all of that, right? Like, if we're going to run a play and score a touchdown if the Super Bowl's coming... We got to know the playbook. That's what this series is all about. Just help. Right. So the series is all about, you know, knowing the playbook. So this is kind of one of those seeker-driven sermon series to teach you why they do what they do at the seeker-driven church, I-Town Church. Right. Yeah. You understand the culture of I-Town and some of the things we're trying to accomplish. Our theme verse is Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um <laughs> We got a problem here. Uh, yeah, Habakkuk ta- chapter 2. This is uh, quick, quickly becoming a go-to passage by Bible twisters. And the verse in question is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, which says, The Lord answered me, he said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Um, this becomes a vision-casting uh, verse, but it's not actually teaching the concept of vision-casting at all. Um, when you read Habakkuk in context, starting in chapter 1, Habakkuk is complaining about why God isn't judging and doing something about the wicked and the evil in the land um, and those who are perpetrating it. And so when God says, you know, all right, um, <laughs> the Lord answered me, so the Lord answers Habakkuk, why aren't you doing anything? And God says, write the vision the vision, this is a prophetic vision that God has given to Habakkuk. Make it make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. In other words, the one who reads this 
prophecy will literally run for their lives, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So, yeah, so God's going to give a prophecy to Habakkuk. He needs to write it down. Basically, warning of God's impending judgment. Read Habakkuk in context, and you'll see it's exactly what he's talking about. But watch what Dave Summerall does here with this text, because he believes in that man-made doctrine called vision casting. So he's going to make God's word void through the man-made doctrine, the made-in-America doctrine that he believes. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, it says you need to write down your plays. Write the vision. And uh, no, it doesn't say to write down your plays. Make it clear so that whoever reads it can actually run the play. They can run. Wow, is that, oh man, that is an egregious twisting of God's word. <laughs> Whoa. To tell others. And that's our goal here at Itown. I believe all Christians are fired up for Jesus and really would like to make a difference. Most of us just don't know how. We, do, we get up to the line of scrimmage and we're not real sure what play we're trying to call. And so we can't score touchdowns. So Itown is trying to make it extremely clear so that when game day comes, we're all on the same team running in the same direction to make a difference. We started this series. Yeah, uh, making a difference. Again, that's another man-made doctrine. No, the church is called to make disciples. Not to make a difference. Big difference, by the way, between those two doctrines. One is from the mouth of Jesus. The other is, well, made in America. Our, our purpose statement that Itown exists to help you move from wherever you are to where God has called you to be. Real- mm, their purpose statement sounds like it's a man-made doctrine. Is the Christian life is not a destination. It's a journey. God is always helping us grow and changing things inside of us and maturing us. And Itown is just here to facilitate that process in your life. Wherever you are in the journey of faith, we're praying that God would help you move. Well, we have to understand what allows us to sustain that. Because truth is, when we start things, uh, that can be easy. But finishing things is the hard part. And so we have to have some fuel to kind of keep us rallied around the cause. And we believe that's the joy of the Lord. In fact, the Bible... Okay, so the joy of the Lord is the fuel... It helps you rally around the cause of Christianity. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so biblical, but that's a man-made doctrine. This is the joy of the Lord is our strength. So week one was all about how I-Town is enjoyable. We believe that church and spirituality, church life, should be a breath of fresh air. That the joy of the Lord... Yeah, spirituality needs to be a breath of fresh air. Another man-made doctrine. Fuel your life so that we can continue doing this together and reach so many people for Jesus. Then week two, our six-year anniversary last weekend, my wife came and preached the house down and about took my job. And I, I... Uh, Yeah, women preaching, forbidden by God's word. That's a man-made teaching. Jade, her for that. She did such an amazing job, and I'm so proud of her. She talked to us about how we want to empower you, how iTown really wants something for you, not something from you. We've always led with the question, what has God put in your heart? Because we've never had a plan of uh, finding people and then trying to figure out where you fit in our vision. We've always felt like God has a vision for his church and he'll send us the people we're supposed to have our job. Yeah, where in the Bible does it say that God has a vision for individual congregations? It doesn't. That's another man-made doctrine. 
Ephesians tells us to figure out what God has uniquely equipped you to do and then equip and train and empower you in order to do that. And then when we join together in that kind of environment, we learn that we is so much more powerful than me, that we all have a purpose together, but as each part plays their role, we can make a difference for Jesus. And I cried seven... Yeah, again, making a difference, man-made doctrine. Making disciples, that's biblical. ...times last weekend, and we only had six services. So it was a powerful message. If you missed it, you can jump online and watch it. Today, I want to talk to you about another guiding principle of iTown. Jot it down if you're taking notes today. Every campus, iTown exists because we want to help you experience the presence, and the power of God in your life. Mm. You know that Jesus says that where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is. Mm -hmm. So Christ is truly present for us where two or more are gathered in his name. What do you mean by saying you want to help people experience the presence and, uh, and the power of God? What does that mean? Our church exists to help you experience the presence of God. And it's important for us to understand because God never intended to be studied. He'd always intended to be experienced. Okay. Um, what he just said there, God never intended to be studied. He intended to be experienced. Made in America. That is a man-made doctrine right out of the head of, um, of uh, Dave Summerall. Not taught in the Bible. Yep, that's a man-made doctrine. And I think religion oftentimes will kind of dilute this thing to a study. To intellectual, to, the, to that tree of knowledge of good and evil approach to God, of knowing the rules and knowing about God, but never really encountering Him. Yeah, um, you've totally botched what the um, tree of the knowledge, and good of, uh, knowledge of good and evil is about. And I don't think that's how God intended life to be. God is Notice he said the words, I don't think, and that's his problem. He is not exegeting a biblical text. He's preaching what he thinks, which is why these doctrines are made in America. Subject, he's a person, and his desire has always been to be in relationship with you and I. Again, yeah, I need a biblical text for that, please. And that's why the Bible's the greatest love story ever written, because it is a story of our Creator working to get back into relationship with his creation. God working to get back into relationship? What are you talking about? See, Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden and created... This is true. Did ...a distance between humanity and God. We see that distance in the Old Testament. Uh, as the nation of Israel would worship God, they would carry around this thing that Indiana Jones made popular, the Ark of the Covenant. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you'll notice he's not exegeting a biblical text. Uh, it's where God's presence was. It's hard sometimes for us to connect to, but God's presence was in one place all the time. And it was a very sacred thing that normal humans like you and I did not have access to. In fact, if you look at the tabernacle that was portable in Moses' time, because they had portable church before they could build a building, just like we do today, uh, they had boo, boo. a system of rituals that a priest would have to go through in order just to be able to access the presence of God. There was a protocol that was necessary that was very intense. Right. So notice, uh, this is all about having access to the presence of God. But he's not exegeting a text. He's just telling you his take on all of things. And then if you look at when the temple was finally built, 
and then destroyed and built again the temple that was there when Jesus gave his life. There were high priests, the, the person that would kind of preside as the spiritual authority and leader over the nation. And that one person went through all of this pomp and circumstance, all these rituals to prepare himself. And then all of these stations to get into this place called the most holy place, the presence of God. And it was such a dangerous place for people to be that he would wear bells on his robe. Because if the bells stopped jingling, then they knew that he was dead because the presence of God was so powerful and sin could not be in the presence of a holy God. The high priest would actually go in with a rope tied around his ankle and if the bells stopped, they'd just pull him out because they knew he was done. And nobody was going in there to get him because it was too risky to get into the presence of God. I think sometimes all of that is lost on us New Testament Christians. We forget how amazing, how powerful The presence of God actually is that no human could stand in the presence of a holy God. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 for a few moments today because I want to study what the writer of Hebrews is teaching us about that protocol of the Old Testament and how it impacts our lives today as New Testament Christians. Now, if you're new to faith, uh, all of this stuff wouldn't make sense unless you had the context of the fact that only one person one time a year had to go through a lot of steps in order to get into the presence of God and how risky and dangerous it actually was. But in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, it says, So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. You see, back then it was the blood of animals. But now Jesus has given his life. And so it gives us access. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So you see, before it was all these rules and it was very... uh, uh, important that they followed every rule and every step because their lives were at stake would have been a very stressful moment for that high priest to go in there with the blood of an animal to make the sacrifice for the nation of Israel for that year. And yet now every one of us, we have this new life giving way to have access to God because that curtain that separate. Yeah. So notice here that, you know, so apparently it was all the rules that were getting in the way to, you know, access to God's presence. That's not the point. The most holy place from people actually was destroyed. In fact, when the second temple was built, that curtain stood 60 feet high, 30 feet wide and four inches thick. And as Jesus died, the Bible tells us miraculously that curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom. And all of a sudden, God's presence was available. You can imagine the horror that probably struck people's hearts knowing the intensity of the presence of God and the danger of being close to God as a sinful person when that veil was torn. And yet now the Bible says we... Yeah, again, he's not exegeting any texts. He's just telling a story basically skewed to his theology. He's already taught, like so many man-made doctrines, I lost count here, and... This isn't actually an exegesis of a biblical text. Not only have access to that, but we can come with boldness. So the death of Christ gives us the most amazing gift that we could possibly have. Jot it down if you're taking notes today. Every campus, it's access. The death of Christ gives us access into the presence of God. Which Now, this is true. It does. But again, what does that have to do with helping people experience God's presence? 
Honestly, I believe is the most powerful thing. Honestly, I believe. Yeah, that's no excuse or that's a poor substitute for here's what the word of God says. And possibly experience. And if you really want to know the secret sauce of the weekends here at Itown, it's the simple fact that we embrace this principle. As your pastor, I know that there's nothing more powerful that you could possibly have happen in your life than just one moment in the presence of God. David said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand spent elsewhere. Yeah, a rock and roll smoke and light show designed to numb your senses um, with you know laser balls in a dark room is not the same thing as the presence of God. I know that whether it's in worship or in a moment of teaching or in the moment of the altar call, whatever it is, it could even happen in the parking lot, that if you have a moment where you become aware of the presence of God in your life, Everything will change. Mm-hmm. So that's the key, the secret sauce. You need to have that moment of the presence of God. So they're trying to facilitate that. Where in the Bible does it say that we can facilitate that type of thing in the way you're describing it? And so when we plan our weekend services, we plan them around the concept of just helping you know God. Just helping you encounter His presence. And we work on our worship sets and the number of songs. In other words, you carefully choose the songs in your quote-unquote worship sets in order to manipulate people's feelings so that they think they're experiencing God's presence. That's what he's saying. And what we're going to say and how it's going to flow and what we're going to preach about and how it all flows together. All so that we can help you encounter for even just a moment the presence of God in your life. We exist. In in other words, your worship set is an alternative sacrament. That's what you're saying. To help people know that that veil has been torn and that the supernatural power and presence of God is available to sinful people. Just like us. You've been given an all access backstage pass into the presence of God. We can go into the temple in a place that people for generations feared. And we can come with this boldness. And that should change the game for every one of us. Now, Yeah, you'd think it would. But the problem is this is all based on man-made, made-in-America doctrine. The passage goes on for several verses to list what the benefits are. There's some things that should happen in your life. And I I pray that you see they're probably already happening in your life without you even realizing what it is. When you come into the presence of God, there's some automatic results of that. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to list four of them. He says, let us four times, four responses to the presence of God. We'll pick it up in verse 21. I'm going to read it all together as a passage. I don't have it laid out in your notes this way. Verse 21. Now, notice he started in Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 21. Maybe we want to take a look at what's going on in Hebrews chapter 10 in context. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said sacrifices and offerings 
you have not desired, but a body that you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. But he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, saying, for, uh, for after saying, this is the covenant that I made, that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds, and then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So notice, it's not about rules and regulations getting in the way of the presence of God. That's not what Hebrews 10 is about at all. It's about us being separated from God by our sin and Christ bleeding and dying in a once-for-all sacrifice. So in it, the, the, the Old Testament sacrifices were a type and shadow pointing to the substance and the reality, and the reality is Christ. So where there is forgiveness of sins, verse 18, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse... Punishment, do you think, will be deserved on by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of his covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For if we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hmm. All right, so there's our context. Let's see what he's going to do with this passage. He says, and since we have this great high priest, that's Jesus, who rules over God's house, verse 22, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly to, without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another towards acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as we see that his return 
is drawing near. Four let us statements. Four things that should happen when you encounter the presence of God in your life. The first one, if you take... <laughs> Four let us statements that you should encounter? Are you turning this into some kind of a law? No, it's every campus. Jot it down. Is confidence. Confidence. The first thing that should happen when you encounter the presence of God in your life is you should grow in your confidence and your relationship with him. The thing that's fascinating to me is how... So all this confidence happens because I have an experience. That's not what Hebrews 10 says. The devil doesn't have any new tricks and how he works the same on all of us. Isn't it true that when you come into God's presence, when you come into worship, you come to church... As soon as the worship starts or that moment begins when, oh, this is my favorite song or, oh, I really like this or, man, the words are speaking to me and you're feeling drawn into God's presence. You're having that moment. Feelings, whoa, feelings. He's not teaching doctrine. He's teaching feelings. You're like, your heart begins to soar or something happens. The weight starts to lift and you want to maybe lift your hands. You want to sing and participate. You're feeling the presence of God immediately in that moment. For every one of us, the devil starts reminding you of all the things you've done wrong. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. Have you ever wondered why when you get into worship? You so that's what happens when you guys are having your worship set. The devil's running around going, oh, you did this, you did that. Yeah, don't you think that maybe you know confessing sins at the beginning of a service and hearing of Christ's mercy and forgiveness might help that, you know? This moment in God's presence, you start remembering like every dumb thing you did all week long. You ever wonder why that happens? That's the devil attacking you. He's reminding you of your past. He's reminding you of all the reasons why uh, the, the letter of the law would say you're disqualified to be in God's presence. All the guilt and all the shame that says you're unworthy. You're, you shouldn't be here. Yeah, and when the devil says that, I just say, yeah, all those sins are bled for, died for. I'm forgiven. I'm in Christ. You're a hypocrite for lifting your hands. God doesn't love a person like you. This is for everybody else, but not for you. And isn't it funny that he does the same thing to every one of us? And yeah, that doesn't happen at our church. That's weird that that happens. At your, you let the devil run around accusing people like that? I mean... You know, just proclaiming Christ's mercy, grace, forgiveness. You know, have you ever heard of an absolution? We just get rid of that right off the bat, you know? So the writer of Hebrews is telling us we should come boldly into this moment. In fact, verse 22, he says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So your guilty conscience, I'm praying, is sprinkled with Christ's blood. And that every time you come to church, you leave with a little bit more confidence in your relationship with Him. That you know what? God does love me. God does have a good plan for my life. God does want to prosper me. God's not out to get me. God's not trying to destroy me. God cares about me. And all of a sudden, you have a little bit more confidence in what God says about you and in your relationship with Him. Why? Because you have this backstage pass. I'm notorious for wandering into places that I am not supposed to be. Any of you do that? My wife, Kate, is a big rule follower. Uh, and so she likes to follow. Like if there's a sign posted, we're following the posted sign. You know, that's just the rule. It's the law. Well, I believe signs were written for everyone else. You know, like I just, 
If I don't read it, I don't have to follow it, right? Like that's just kind of how I've always rolled. And so we go to concerts or the fair or pretty much anywhere. It's amazing the places you can wander into if you look like you know what you're doing. That's a little secret in life. Isn't it true? I mean, you just put your head down and walk fast and nobody stops you in this world. I don't know why, but I'm always getting into places I'm not supposed to be. And it makes her so nervous, like we're not supposed to be here. Why are you doing this to me again? Right. I think sometimes people feel like that in worship, like I'm not supposed to be here. And yet you have been given this backstage pass into the presence of God. You're supposed to be here. God's paid the ultimate price. You should have confidence in your relationship with Him because of the blood of Christ. And don't let the devil accuse you. If he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. He is a defeated foe. He was conquered at the cross. And the Bible says Jesus destroyed the record that contained the charges against you. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Man, I- now this is true, and this is a good gospel point. I'm glad that he's brought it up. But he's mixed it with a lot of man-made doctrines. And as a result of it, the man-made theology is getting in the way of a clear understanding of what it is that Christ has done for us. Preaching a thousand percent better and y'all are responding. That is too little too late. Ridiculous around here. It's okay to clap and to holler at me. It makes me feel like I'm actually doing a good job. All y'all like, we're white. We don't respond in church. It's okay. Just relax. Backstage pass into the presence of God. Gives you confidence. I'm supposed to be here. I'm a son and daughter of the king. And I know that he's got good plans for my life. And that doesn't mean that he's okay with all the things I've done wrong. But there's hope for a better tomorrow. The presence of God. No, it's that he's bled and died for those sins. And I am in him and I am forgiven. The thing it gives you jotted down is faith. Faith. Back to our text, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Indeed, he can. Faith is a relationship word. Faith is trust. In fact, the Greek definition of faith is the word pistis. The Greek Greek word is pistis. It means trust that produces actions. Um... Yeah, that's uh, which lexicon did you find that in? You know, because BDAG doesn't actually say that. I'd like to actually see where you saw that for the word pistis. So literally the definition of faith is believing in something to the point that it actually impacts how you live your life. So all of us have faith. We just put it in the wrong stuff. You want to know what your faith is in? Look at how you're living your life. Maybe your faith is in your company. Maybe it's in the economy. It could be in the government. It could be in people. We always misplace our faith. But when we put our faith in God, it's because we're trusting that he is who he says he is. You see, when we have confidence in our relationship with him, then we begin to develop confidence in his character. Yeah, just check BDAG. It doesn't say anything about the definition you came up with. That's weird. It's like you invented your own definition for a Greek word. And that he's actually going to do what he said that he would do. So we can hold tightly to the hope that we profess because we trust him, because we're getting to know him. Faith should be built 
when you access the presence of God. So when you leave here, you should have confidence that God loves you. And you should have a little bit more faith that what God says is going to come to pass in your life actually will. And if you have that trust, it'll begin to impact how you live your life. You'll start to spend your money differently. You'll start to treat people differently. You start to... Right. Yes, faith does produce that. And the reason for it is simple. Faith is given as one of the gifts from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10 make this very clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Neither the grace nor the faith is your own doing. It's a gift from God. God's grace and faith are both given to us by God. Uh huh. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast your life differently because you believe that God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. You start to believe that God actually is going to do what he said he would do in his word. And all of a sudden your lifestyle begins to change. Now, the thing that's cool about that is your changed life actually becomes a walking billboard for others. Like when you leave church, you should be different than every other party at Stake and Shake, right? You should have a little bit more life in your conversation. When you're out on the ball fields and when you're traveling with sports and when you're... So when they go to Stake and Shake in Indiana after church, the waitress should go, man, there's, wow, that conversation, oh, wow, yeah, there's something different. Huh. What if it isn't? Are they sinning? Involved in school, like there's just something different about you. Why? Because you're a child of the king. You've encountered his presence. You've got this confidence that you know the creator of the universe. And you have faith that your life is going to continue getting better. Because the light of the righteous, the Bible says, grows brighter and brighter every day. And because of that, your lifestyle is changing. So it's like the Beatles song. I, I believe it's getting better, better all the time. It can't get no worse, right? Yeah. Do you know that evangelism isn't something that you should have to sweat over? Like your life is communicating things to people. I don't feel like I have to go around and tell people, oh, you're going to hell. I forgot to tell you I'm a Christian. <laughs> That's not what God's called us to do. Some of us really do carry this guilt of, oh, man, I haven't told anybody this month they're going to hell. <laughs> I should probably get on that, you know, like I need to be an evangelist. But being an evangelist just means living your life in a way that reflects the light of Christ. Did you know? Uh, no, that's not true. That's a total man-made doctrine. Evangelism is the proclamation of the good news. Euangelion itself, gospel, it means good news. So if you're engaging in evangelism, you're telling people of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You're not defining evangelism properly. Yeah, that saying that, you know, when you preach the gospel, um, if necessary, use words, that's totally bogus, man-made doctrine. Evangelism is proclamation of the good news of Christ and him crucified for our sins. Yeah, read your Bible there, dude. That when you put your faith in God, it changes your lifestyle and that shines light to the world around you. That people would see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven that you already have. Your good works definitely are a light, but they are not the gospel. Uh-huh. He's confusing two categories in the Bible here influence you already have something that's making a difference in the world around you. you yeah again the bible does not teach us to go and make a difference that's a man-made doctrine jesus told us to go and make disciples baptizing and teaching all that he has commanded 
to have to think about how to use it for the kingdom. So number three, when you encounter God's presence, you get influence. Jot it down if you're taking notes today. Uh, when you encounter God's presence, you get influence? Again, made in America, that's not what uh, Hebrews 10 says. Influence. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now, I yeah, that doesn't sound like influence to me unless you're totally confusing your good works with evangelism. That passage, because you already have influence, everybody. People are already watching your life. They're all, they can't figure out why you don't scream at your kids when you're out at the soccer field. They can't. Um, hmm, I know plenty of Christian people who do that, and I bet they go to your church too. I used to live in Fishers. Um, yeah, yeah. The problem is what you just said. People already know is not true about themselves. You're putting a heavy burden around their necks. Figure out why you're not just buried in your cell phone all the time at every moment of your life. Why are you so aware of others? Why do you seem happy? Why do you have the ability to do these things and to have this peace and to have that confidence? And what's different about you? And so the Bible says, listen, you already have influence. You just have to think about ways that you're going to encourage other people to take the journey with you. Think about ways you're going to spur on others towards love and good deeds. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique already pre-planned in the, uh, as they were putting this uh, service together in order to help people make decisions of some kind or another. Uh Uh-huh. We actually have to be strategic in leveraging the influence that we already have. Why? Because we come into God's presence. You come into God's presence, you experience His power. It gives you confidence in who God's called you to be. It gives you faith to believe that the impossible is now possible. It begins to change the way that you live your life. Yeah, this is not what Hebrews 10 says at all. In such a way that you would have influence in the world around you. And I'm asking you as your pastor... As we encounter God's presence, let's leverage that influence, especially over the next several weeks, to spur on other people towards the life that God has called us to live. The last thing is that we have this commonality. We have this rallying point together. The fourth thing that should happen when we come into the presence of God and experience it in a real and life-giving way is community. Jot it down as we close. Community. Because God never called us to be a part of a religious club. He called us to make a difference. Yeah, again, uh, this community point is rather creepy. Um, Sounds like you've been influenced by modern-day communitarianism, uh which is actually a form of fascism. And for many of us, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably just been a part of something that was about church, that was about Christianity, that was about us. And I want you to know today, we're going to talk about this next week. ITown exists for its non-members. We exist so that people who are far from God. Yeah, you don't exist to actually make disciples. Yeah. Experience life in Christ. And what I'm asking you is to help me make a difference. Right, rather than make disciples. Yeah, the, the false man-made doctrine as opposed to what Jesus actually told us to do. Right. Now, when you start doing that, you become a target. Because there are spiritual forces of darkness 
that are working overtime to send as many people to hell as possible. Yeah, through false doctrine, like these man-made ones we're listening to. Now what I'm asking you to do is to leverage the influence that God has given your life, not for your own good, which you can. Do you know the Holy Spirit is attractive and charismatic and puts favor on your life? And you can use the presence and the favor of God to excel in business and to excel in everything else. And there's a lot of... Yeah, which biblical text says that I can do that with the Holy Spirit? I'm not familiar with that text. That sounds like another man-made doctrine. People that have tapped into that, and that's not wrong. Joseph found himself in charge of everything everywhere he went. Why? Because God was with him. <laughs> yeah, just forget all the other details of Joseph's life. Just make stuff up here, right? But he also understood how to leverage that to advance the kingdom. Right, yeah, Joseph, the ultimate example of leveraging in the kingdom. Man-made doctrine. I'm asking you to help me advance the kingdom. And if you do, your life will be a target. Too many Christians see their lives come under attack. They start making a difference and then everything falls apart. And they go, well, I must be doing something wrong. No, for the first time in your life, you're making a difference. That's why we pray. That's why we ask God's protection. Because the devil is shooting fiery darts at people who are making a difference. And if you're going to be in that place, you're going to have to have some people around you. That's why verse 25, the conclusion is, and let us not forsake giving up this. Yeah, you make it sound like Hebrews 10 is somehow, you know, what your church's unique vision is supposedly based on. And it's not. Eating together because some are getting in the habit of doing it. But I'm telling you, we're going to need to encourage one another and all the more. As this thing wraps up, as we see the day approaching, as darkness grows darker and our light shines brighter, we got to stick together and have each other's back. Yeah, the problem is you're not actually shining the light of Scripture and sound doctrine here. You're obscuring it with your twisting of God's Word and mixing it with man-made doctrines. And I'm telling you, that's why we do small groups. I don't care if you attend an I-Town small group or, or another small group. You just need to be in a small group because you can't afford not to. I am in a... Right, because there's nothing greater than, you know, being in a group of people where the person leading it is not actually qualified to teach the Bible. Yeah, that's loads of fun. Group Because I can't afford not to be in a small group. you got to have people in your life that you're doing life together with. So that you can encourage one another of, yeah, man, that's, that's a good decision. Yeah, God is for you. Yeah, it's okay that people are attacking you and people are suing you and they're accusing you and they're doing things. It's cool, man. God has got your back. There is a kingdom purpose. We're going to pray together. We're going to help you overcome that. We're going to work through these things in your life. We got another semester starts August 28th. This is two weeks. And I'm so very excited. Excuse me, one week, one week away. Next Sunday, August 28th. The small group directory is available online now, but we're still adding groups. We're going to end up with over 100. If you want to be trained, we can do that even today. Help get you on the field. Let's do life together. And it, yeah, doing life together, yeah. Another weird man-made doctrine. Bridge one another so that we can help other people experience what we've experienced. I-Town exists so that people can encounter the presence and the power of God. And I'm telling you, everybody, that changes everything. Would you bow me in prayer at all of our campuses as we go? Done. Wow, what a mess.
So hijacking of a biblical text to try to make it fit his man-made doctrines, yeah. whole lot of theology in there that has the, when you read the label, it says, made in America. Yeah, you don't want any of that theology, trust me. Because none of that is actually from God. It's man-made. Jesus says that's the stuff that makes void the written word of God. Think about it. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you. The grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>